fighting for freedom every day. You as the individual, you have the power. You don't have to join a union. You go in as an entry-level position. You get the experience that you need. And then as you work up, you get better at your job, which means they pay you more. If they don't pay you more, then you go to another company to show what you've learned and what your value is to where you can get more. If they really don't like that, then you can go and start your own damn business because we have a free market, laissez-faire, capitalist society, allegedly, to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. You are darn right it is. Welcome into The Voice of Reason. It is a Monday, the greatest day of the entire week. Kick it off a brand new one, baby. Boy, do we have a lot to get to and to talk about today. We're going to have some fun like we do every day. Because politics is fun. It may, <laughs> it may be angering, it may be frustrating, but nonetheless, it's still fun because that's what we enjoy here on the program. Welcome into the Voice of Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you watch or listen to the show, we love you to death. Welcome aboard your Millennial General, reporting for duty like we do every single day. Hopefully you had a good weekend. I had a great weekend. Finally, after the elections last week, I told myself I need a weekend to not do anything. And that's exactly what I did. I don't remember the last time that I had a non-eventful weekend like I just did. I literally, I, I had a local program here in the Wichita area on Saturday morning. Outside of that, I got home. I took a nap. I ate. I watched a couple movies. I then went to bed after watching some movies. I woke up, slept in on Sunday. Then I watched more movies, played a couple games with the little one, watched a couple TV shows, made some dinner, and went to bed. That was my entire weekend. And I am... I don't know that I'm proud of it because I've never really done that before. I usually am running around 10, you know, 10 different places all at the same time. But it's good to do that every once in a while. So, by golly, we are revved up. We are ready to go again and have some fun. Coming up on the show today, Stella Morabito. She is author of the book, The Weaponization of Loneliness, as we talk about isolation, the divide and conquer mentality from the progressives and how easy we are making it for them to do so. The divide and conquer, which has always been their platform. Let's go ahead and divide, get everybody bickering at each other and then conquer them, control them while they don't even realizing it. Guess what? They do it now on such an easy level because of social media, because of the Great Reset, because of the COVID-19 pandemic and other issues. We'll talk with Stella coming up at the bottom of the hour about that. Before I go any further about the show, though, and with some of the issues that have been going on, I need to uh, give a commemoration to an individual, which blew my mind. I did not realize he had passed away until I found out today. But he passed away on Saturday, and not that I was close friends with him per se, but I knew him. We were acquaintances. We were radio buddies. I had talked to him many, many times on the air. But Jim Bohannon, host of the Jim Bohannon Show, nationally syndicated. He was on close to 500 radio stations across the nation. He passed away on Saturday, which blew my mind. Now, for those that don't know Jim Bohannon, he was a late-night program here in the Wichita market. We aired him on our radio station and have listened to him for years. Uh, he had been, I always called him the radio legend because he had been in radio for a very long time. I don't even know how long he was on the radio, probably 30, 40 years or so, 50 years. I don't know. He's a radio legend. He's been there forever. He was always been a news talk guy. He's been a wonderful individual. Again, I, Again, I don't know him personally, but I looked up to him. Because as long as I've been around, I've heard his voice on the radio at late nights and talk radio. And I've talked to him many, many times personally doing interviews with him. He retired from his radio program just three weeks ago. 
I, being a program director and operations manager, I mean, I had heard other guests fill in for him, and I knew that he was getting older, and he would probably start sliding out little by little, but he'd still be on the radio a couple nights a week, and we got the official email just, what, three, four weeks ago. It couldn't be more than a month now where we got the official email saying that he was officially retiring from radio, that that Friday would be his final day on the air, and whoever had been filling in for him would be the official host of the program from now on, and that he would be retiring. Three weeks later, he dies and passes away. Now, I've heard, I don't know for sure, I've heard from one news story, I don't know if it's been confirmed or not, that he was battling some cancer issues or some other illnesses. So if that's the case, that is devastating. And horrible, and my thoughts and prayers go out to him and the family. I just interviewed him not two months ago, three months ago, as he was slowly working his way out, and he never said anything. He seemed completely fine. He was coherent. I loved to enjoy chatting with him as we were gearing up towards election season. So thoughts and prayers to Jim Bohannon and the family. How devastating and It really brings to light, number one, it's a little creepy. I could have been one of the last people to interview him and talk to him about issues before he passes away. Number two... The fact that he retires from radio and three weeks later he passes, that is very sad. It's very scary. And to me, it really hit home of try to cherish. Here's my words of wisdom for you today uh, on a Monday. Try to enjoy and cherish every single moment that you possibly have. And by golly, what a way to go is you retire from radio. You have three weeks vacation of official retirement, and then you end up passing, not really getting to just enjoy a bit of life and actually step away from work and actually just sit back and enjoy life a little bit. So uh, I don't know. That kind of rattled a little bit today. So thoughts and prayers out to him and the family. And Jimbo Hannon, he was one of the greats in broadcasting and in talk radio and in news talk radio specifically. So uh, he will definitely be missed on the airwaves uh, for sure with Jimbo Hannon passing at the ripe old age of 78 years old. All right, that's what I have to say about that. Let's shift gears a little bit. we got a lot to get to today. What's trending today? It is kind of sad. It's kind of sad. It makes you ponder and think about stuff a little bit. All right. As we wrap up with elections, we are now almost a week out from the elections that happened on Tuesday last week. We still do not know some of these races that are not confirmed across the nation, including the governor's race in Arizona, including Lauren Boebert's congressional district in the western and southern portions of Colorado, a couple districts in California as well. We are a week after elections and we still don't have many of these races called what the hell is going on it blows my mind to the fact that we still a week later do not have some of these races called now we did get word over the weekend that in the state of nevada the senate race did go to the democrat uh, locking in their 50 votes which means we will not have a majority in the u.s senate we will at best case have a match of a 50-50 like we did in the past, which is concerning for some in the House of Rep- in the U.S. Senate. However, we will have the majority in the House of Representatives. After the Democrats have lost eight seats so far, we've gained seven or eight seats, and we're still moving forward. Right now, the official count, according to the Associated Press, is that we are sitting at 212 in the House of Representatives compared to their 203. We need 218 for the majority. We will hit that easily they're guessing we're going to be in the mid-20s 23 24 25 Uh, so we will have the majority but it's going to be tight and that also means that republicans it's time for us to unite and start working together because i swear we've seen this scenario so many times that the house of representatives will be held by the republicans which normally it is every once in a while we'll see the democrats take over but normally with the smaller districts with the less area that they have to represent and cover in certain states 
predominantly Republicans do well in the House of Representatives. It's tough for us when we have to do Senate races that are statewide because of populated areas across these different states now that are dominating the elections. And the need for an electoral college uh, process at the statewide level, which we continue to uh, talk about here on this uh, show. No one else is talking about that idea, but we are here and we're going to continue to do so. But the House of Representatives that represents the most transparency with the people are predominantly Republican because it's a smaller area for them to have to represent, which means the voice of the people is a little bit louder. And that's a good thing. Here's the problem, though is now we're going to go into a situation where the Democrats control the Senate and still control the presidency, which means, and we've seen this time and time and time again, I believe it happened under Barack Obama, I believe it happened under, George, well, uh, uh, Bill Clinton, I was going to say George W., which in case I guess that was technically a plea. He was a Republican, but he was kind of a moderate Republican under Bill Clinton and other times where we've had the Democrat presidency, the U.S. Senate in Democrat hands, and the Republicans in the House of Representatives, which means this is going to be pertinent more than ever for us to stand up and actually have a backbone and be okay to tell Congress no at times. I know that's hard. (laughs) I know it's difficult, but we have to say no, and we have to stand on principle because you know what's going to happen. And especially with Barack Obama still running things behind the scenes right now under the Biden regime and with the Senate still having at least a tie or a tiebreaker with Kamala Harris or the majority with maybe one seat. God forbid that happen if Georgia ends up going Democrat at the end. We will win the Senate race in Alaska that still hasn't been confirmed right now. So best case, we'll have a 50-50. Worst case, we're going to have a split by a 51-49 vote. But regardless, God forbid that happens. We've seen this over and over again where the president and the U.S. Senate is going to bully the House of Representatives constantly saying you are the obstructors. Remember the Barack Obama reign when we had the same situation where Barack Obama would come out and say, oh, we're trying to be productive here. We're trying to get things done. We're trying to actually move the country in a forward direction and the Republicans are obstructing. The reason for a government shutdown is because of the Republicans. The reason we can't pass a bill is because of the Republicans. It's going to be Republicans' fault and they're going to put blame on them. And we're going to go into a government shutdown, probably because next year the federal budget's going to happen. We're not going to want to pass this omnibus bill that's going to be trillions upon trillions of dollars above what we're already doing. And the government's going to say we have to because that's just what needs to be done. The Biden administration says we need to pass these new programs. The Democrats say that if we don't pass it, people are going to die in the streets and we're going to shut down the government. And it's going to be Republicans, like usual, that cower, that cave, and that end up passing it because we have to, because how dare we shut down the federal government and not allow the money to go out from the federal government into the private sector. That's going to be, we already know how this plays out. It's nothing new. It's nothing shock and awe. It's what we've seen in the reality before, which comes down to the leadership of the Republicans in both chambers. Now, this week, the leadership in the Senate is being voted on in the Republicans to pass as Mitch McConnell as the minority leader or majority leader again. I'm assuming it's going to be the minority leader now. Obviously, uh, since they've locked in, I guess they're 50, so it would be the minority leader. So uh, we're looking at Mitch McConnell to run that again and Kevin McCarthy to be the Speaker of the House. I say we need a little bit different leadership because Mitch McConnell, while he knows the technical ways to make government work, he's not the most conservative guy. He's tried to oust at many conservatives in different races across the nation. And with a war chest of hundreds of millions of dollars, the last I heard was what, like $400 million? We weren't able to take the Senate. 
which that's a problem. In the House of Representatives, we're going to have Kevin McCarthy. He's okay. Hopefully, he's going to be better than Paul Ryan. Hopefully, he's going to be better than John Boehner back in the day, crying and blubbering on the to- on the House floor. But we need someone that's going to be able to take the heat from the Democrats because, God forbid, we get in that situation again next year where the president's trying to pass a budget. And I say budget in a very loosey-goosey term because it's going to be an omnibus bill or it's not going to be the 12 appropriations bills. It's not going to be a budget. It's just going to be a massive package with ridiculous amounts of spending that we don't know what's in it. Pass it to see what's in it, right? Thanks, Nancy Pelosi. And then the Senate's going to say, well, we're trying on our part as well. We just can't get it through. It's the House representatives and those Republicans that are trying to kill people and not allow it to go through to really move the country forward and to keep this country functioning the way it needs to do so. And the question is, what House member is going to be thick enough with a strong enough spine to stand up and say, no, It's not okay to pass these bills. It is not okay to pass this omnibus bill. And yes, we will shut down the government, and I have zero problem shutting down the government until we actually have a reasonable bill come through that we can support as Republicans. But until then, nada, zero, zilch, we're not going to support it. We will not cave. We will not falter. We will not be bullied. We will not compromise in the terms of 2022, where compromise means Republicans cave and Democrats get everything they want. We've read this book before. It's old. We already know what the outcome is going to be, and it's going to be very frustrating. So that's the next fight for us. We can slow down legislation at the federal level. Doesn't mean we're going to win a whole lot, but we can only slow it down. But we need to have tough leadership that's willing to take that hit and say, cool, shut down the government. We're going to get the truth out there on why you guys are going further and further to the left and why we can't support these legislations. With Andy Hoosier. Bring some reason into your day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right, Andy. Welcome back into the program. So the next question is, when we look at leadership in Congress, now that we're going to have the House, we will not have the Senate. We're going to be bullied from the Senate. We're going to be bullied from the presidency. And we have to stand out and have strong leadership willing to take that hit. Yes, we are willing to shut down the government for six months on end. I don't care. I do not care. We will shut it down. Because we will not pass ridiculous legislation. We will not pass a budget that continues to increase. We will not pass additional spending when we don't need to. The House of Representatives constitutionally has the power of the purse. The House, not the Senate. The House of Representatives, they have the power of the purse. And we need to make sure that we stand firm on that and remind them that the House of Representatives has the power of the purse. Which, speaking of, we didn't get to it last week. I don't know if we're going to get to it today as well. We may have to spend some time on it tomorrow. The legislation holding up the student loan forgiveness program because of the judge out of Texas that said it's a blatant transfer of power to the executive branch by signing an executive order to transfer trillions of dollars that the Congress had no oversight or say on at all. And now the Biden administration is just like, yeah, whatever. There's a new poll showing what the students would actually spend their money on if they do get their student loan forgiveness on whether it would actually be beneficial for them with their monthly budget. And you can imagine how that one turned out, meaning that we have deeper issues here. It's not about the student loans and taking out the massive amounts of student loans. It's about the financial literacy of understanding how finance works. And I can say that because I'm sitting on $60,000 of student loan debt myself that I'm going to pay back on my own because 
I took it out, and I was stupid enough to take out that, and now I have the responsibility to pay that back. So you can't say, he's holier than that. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Really? Can't say it. We'll get to that a little bit later on the program here. As we move forward and we try to appeal to the younger generations, we try to appeal to these different demographics that went majoritively to the Democrat side, and now we have a bully situation with the House of Representatives. The next question is, who is going to be the face of the Republican Party as a whole? Not just the House of Representatives, not just Kevin McCarthy or whoever may become Speaker of the House, but the actual voice and face of the Republican Party. Donald Trump is still a major player in that. Others want someone like Ron DeSantis to potentially be that face as well at the federal level on who's going to carry the party. Because now the claim is from the quote-unquote never-Trumpers and the quote-unquote moderates and the quote-unquote mainstream media is that Donald Trump needs to go away because Donald Trump is what ruined the elections in this race. And he's the one that's causing the controversy and sabotaging the Republican Party and his endorsements didn't work out in this election. And Democrats would love that, too, which is why they're kind of feeding that mentality. According to TheGuardian.com, they ran a piece which is hilarious because they are so ridiculously absurd. Even though Joe Biden's approval ratings on Tuesday averaged only 41 percent and 72 percent of Americans say the country is headed in the wrong direction, Americans have voted for the steadiness and steady voice over turmulous and turning over and shakiness and uncertainty in Washington, D.C., over the past few years, the the hair-raising four wild years of Donald Trump, the two horrible years of the pandemic, the deep recession followed by inflation, climatic catastrophes, a violent attack on the U.S. Capitol, and so on and so forth, Americans want to keep politics pretty much as is because everything is so unpredictable. He goes on to say the bad news for Trump and Trumpism is the quasi-religious personal cult of authoritarianism, political violence, and QAnon conspiracy theories that Trump has fostered, whose fundamental goal is to upend American politics with Trump at the head of it. Anybody who's concerned Donald Trump, I'm not quoting this any longer from The Guardian because that's just, that's how lunacy right now, that's how crazy the mainstream media is. Those that say Donald Trump is ruining the party, I'd like to remind you that the endorsements that he made in this election overwhelmingly turned out successful. In the general election, he made 254 endorsements and 80% of them were successful. 80%, which by the way, was better than what he had done even as president. In 2021, he was at 67%. In 2020, while he was president, he was 78%. In 2019, it was at 67%. He had an 80% success rate in the endorsements from this year, 93%, by the way, in the primaries as well. He's still a dominant figure, and he chose a lot of the right candidates in this race. He's still the face as of right now for the Republicans. When Reason Meets Radio. You're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason, common sense, rationale, that's what we're all about here on this program. Welcome back into the show. It's a Monday. We've talked a lot about the leadership of what the House of Representatives may look like, our leadership in the GOP. Can they handle the heat? Because it's going to come, and it's going to come hard on them. We'll get back to that here in just a little bit. Welcome back in. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time. We're on multiple radio stations all over the place. So welcome aboard. We love you to death. I want to shift gears just a little bit here. 
because while the battle unfortunately continues, it goes deeper than what we do. And you know us on this show. We like to unveil those layers of the onion and dig just a bit deeper to understand the true reason, the agenda, the purpose of why things are done. As you know, the COVID-19 pandemic kind of upturned a lot of things. And with the books route immediately after the Great Reset, the Great Reset's going to happen here. We're going to change things. We're going to change the economy. We're going to change the Green New Deal. And we're going to change the energy production. We're going to change the way people think. We're going to change content on the interweb. It's been kind of a dangerous battle, and we seem to be losing it left and right. We need to be aware of what's really going on. Uh, and when we did, we got shut down on social media. You couldn't tweet about the concern about a vaccine. You couldn't tweet about the negative impacts of kids going to school with masks on. You couldn't tweet about how you want natural immunity. You couldn't tweet about how uh, how wrong it was to not be able to see Grandma at 95 in the nursing home when she died, and you're on the other side of a plate of glass like a zookeeper watching the animal and not having any human interaction. It's pathetic, it's scary, and it's sad. And they conditioned for kind of the quote-unquote new norm. Where are we at today and what are we looking forward to moving forward down the road as we get into our latest and what's trending? What's trending today? I am happy to have on the program. She is author of the book, The Weaponization of Loneliness. How Tyrants Stoke Our Fears of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer. Excited to have on the program here Stella Morabito with us here. Stella, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on, Andy. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show very much. It's a fascinating conversation because I think in the back of our minds, we all know what's happening since COVID. We couldn't go and meet people in person. We couldn't chat with them face-to-face, and then when we go on social media, we got stuck in the echo chamber with an algorithm that wouldn't let us spread the information, or it would just shut us down completely, and we feel a bit isolated. Is that still ongoing today? Oh, you bet it is. Uh, you know, It's been going on for a long time, but COVID really fast-tracked it all by enforcing our isolation uh, just very blatantly. Uh, in in physical space and as well as digital space. Um, I think that in my book, The Weaponization of Loneliness, the basic premise is that self-censorship is really what moves all these destructive agendas along. It's what gives them oxygen. When we don't speak up about what we believe, we, um, you know, we end up, uh, you know, creating a whole new... Uh, sense of public opinion, uh, and we, we give a lot of oxygen to really destructive agendas. In fact, self-censorship is what all of the destructive agendas becoming destructive policies have depended upon, um, you know, in modern history. Yeah. So uh, we need to pay a lot closer attention to why we self-censor and that very, very powerful impulse that we have. I mean, we're all social animals, uh, you know, human beings, and we need to connect with others. So our fear of ostracism is just just primal. Yeah. And uh, when that fear can be triggered and exploited, we fall into that trap. Well, like you said, we've been down this road for a while now. I mean, I'm 34. I grew up with the beginning of computers, and social media was a new thing to me come high school and college where we didn't know. But, I mean, uh, the generation to change, I mean, I remember my grandparents having the time of they always had their, their house parties, and all the neighbors would come by. They would have their bowling clubs. They would go to the PTA meetings. They would go to this. They would go to that. Our, with social media and my generation, we don't do that. We're just like, you know what, we'll just zoom into it or we'll just have a group think or a group chat on Facebook Messenger and then that way we can still converse but we don't need to actually be there in person. It started that way 
And then the control started happening because now even if you do post that stuff, it's hard to actually get it out there. So they've used what we liked and thought was a convenience. It seems like they started using it against us. Is that true? Oh, yeah. No, uh, I think there's been a lot of studies. Uh, Gene Twenge over, I mentioned this in my book, uh, University of uh, California, San Diego, has studied the effects of screen time, especially on youth, and, and the spiking rates of anxiety and even suicide because of the, the isolation, the atomization that this, uh, you know, th- these new digital technologies are having on us so that we're all, you know, looking at devices and screens rather than one another face-to-face, which is, uh, you know, really what we need. I mean, that's really a primal need, and yet it's not being met. And COVID, of course, uh, fast-tracked that and enforced that kind of, uh, you know, communication, which is not as real as face-to-face communication can be. Yeah, And we're getting far less of it, less we need it and we're not getting it. Well, it's weird because we're in an age of information. The information wave is here. We have an internet that is supposed to be wide open and you could find anything on anything on there. And it seems like now it's getting harder to actually find that. I mean, uh, we have with so many people blogging and with podcasts and with content out there, it's hard to kind of weed through what is right and what's not and to take away from certain things. But how is this curbing now? public opinion on information based on the information that's presented. Because, for example, with COVID-19, it's a prime example of that. If someone posted, you know what, I'm hesitant to get the COVID-19 vaccine because I don't know what's in it. I've heard some potential negative uh, negative effects from it. I support my natural immunity, and I don't think I need to run out and get a vaccine for everything. If you post that, like we have many times on this show and having like Dr. Robert Malone and others on the program, then your YouTube channel gets banned, you get thrown in Facebook jail, and your Twitter account gets suspended. Uh, So you can't even voice your concerns or opinions because it went against the narrative with the government's disinformation governance board. And that's a big concern, I think. Oh, absolutely. No, the the censorship uh, that's being just pushed so hard top-down, and that misinformation, uh, whatever they want to call governance board, is one example. But if you saw the Intercept piece a couple weeks ago, uh, you know, they they have not given up on that. That is uh, heavy-duty corporate and government cooperation on uh, tracking any kind of uh, dissent from the the narrative. And uh, these narratives with not just COVID, but, you know, everything, the environment, the critical race theory, all of that, uh, especially that transgender thing, they come down so hard uh, against any uh, voice of dissent. And I think that that's been building up for decades, for many decades, because as we respond to that fear of ostracism that you get from all these smears that are thrown out there, nobody wants to be called a bigot, nobody wants to be called a hater or, a, or even an election denier or anti-vaxxer. You know, they come up with all of these slurs. The ultra-maga, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, all, yeah, all of these slurs just meant to shut you up. Not only shut you up, but get you to lie about what you really believe. And so that has a huge impact on public discourse. It has a huge impact uh, because, it, you know, there's a social contagion involved in that. If people don't, and, I, and one of the things I talk about is the, or write about is, 
is that conformity impulse and all the experiments that were done starting really in the 1950s by uh, sociologists like Solomon Asher were wondering, how the heck could this Holocaust have happened? And uh, and he had Stanley Milgram, the same thing. All, all of these, um, you know, all the science behind trying to understand about the conformity impulse uh, and how hardwired it is in us is not something that we really appreciate today. We don't really have access uh, to that kind of information. Uh, you know, that, that really needs to be um, it needs to be made common knowledge. So uh, the impulse is extremely strong, and uh, when whenever we cave to it, uh, and you know it's exploited in us to create that conformity impulse that creates the self censorship that helps all of the official censorship along. I mean, we do a lot of their work for them by shutting up. Sure. Yeah, that is very true. We're talking with Stella Morabito, author of the book, The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stoke Our Fear of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer. And I tell you, that divide and conquer mentality, like you said, we are making it easier for them just by not speaking. Because when we do speak out, then the media, the government, everybody just portrays as crazy nuts, which is why now, which is hard to believe, we have a Biden administration that says anybody who is concerned about an election or doesn't go and get a COVID-19 vaccine, or is a Republican, is quote-unquote ultra-MAGA, and now one of the dangerous political organizations in American history, this is taking it to almost an unhealthy level of the divide and conquer, because now this is getting to the point of labeling people as a potential dangerous threat to the nation. I don't know where else we go from here. Oh, I know. I mean, with parents, for example, being identified as uh, domestic terrorists just for expressing concerns at a school board meeting, no, it, it's totally out of hand. But one thing I would say uh, in response to that, their, uh, just, their great suppression of your opinion, as mild as it might be, uh, that goes against their narrative, should tell you everything you need to know about how powerful just one voice is. Mm. Uh, they cannot, uh, they can't tolerate even one voice. Uh, and so that that pretty much tells you what you need to know about freedom of speech and how powerful it is if if we'll use it. But we have to use it or we will lose it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that's where we are right now. That's where we are now. Stella, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Sure. Fantastic. Hang on the line here. It's Stella Morabito, author of the book, The Weaponization of Loneliness. I want to continue this conversation. And when we come back, I want to ask, where do we go from here? How do we stop this? How do we stop the isolation? How do we stop the divide and conquer? As Benjamin Franklin said, either we all hang together or we will surely hang apart. We don't want that moving the forward. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. John Wright, welcome back into the program. Just a few minutes left here on the show for a Monday. Boy, do we have a heck of a lineup all across the board for you throughout this week. It's going to be fun. Make sure to stay tuned in throughout the week. Right now, we are talking about isolation, conquer, and divide the loneliness. Not just the mental impacts on loneliness, because we are a species needing to... Uh, co-mingle and talk to people and interact with other individuals, that human interaction. 
That's what we're all about. If you go and isolate yourself too long, then you go crazy. And that's, I think, what they want. As she is author of the book, The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stoke Our Fears of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer. It's Stella Morabito, which you can find her online at Stella, M-O-R-A. Uh, B-I-T-O dot net. You can check out all the great stuff she has on her website. Stella, the next question is, how do we fight this madness? Like you said, we've pretty much done their job for them. We went to social media. We stopped gathering as groups for at least the younger generations. We're all about the clicks and the likes and the hearts, which means now we're in an algorithm that's in an echo chamber of people that like the same things we are and to heck with anybody else that thinks differently or has different interests or different political views or whatever it may be. We now live in an echo chamber having no clue what the basic um, social norms are or understandings of a society, which is what we're getting to, I think, nowadays. How do we fight some of this and how do we get ourselves back on track? Oh, wow. Well, this is why I wrote the book. I mean, it's not a five-second soundbite. I mean, it's a deep dive into all of these phenomena, these patterns of tyranny, these, you know, how how it operates on us. And, you know, I, number one, we have to understand and become aware that we're dealing with what amounts to a psychological war against the private sphere of life and, of course, against free speech, because you can't have private life or private relationships uh, without uh, the ability to talk uh, or communicate openly with other people. So um, those two things are very interconnected. And, of course, the private sphere of life, that's family, community, faith communities, friendships, um, those are, uh, you know, there's been so much brokenness in all of those areas, which makes it more of an uphill battle. But it's definitely a, a war, really, that we have to fight if we want to if we want to try to preserve freedom. And uh, so it's going to be a lot of hard work. But that that's something we have to do. We have to grow and guard our relationships and understand that they are under attack. And uh, and and so how do you do that? I mean, it's an asymmetric response. Obviously, you're not going to be able to do it through big media, right? I mean, you're not going to yeah. be able to do it through, you know, schools or colleges. It it has to happen in a very one-on-one kind of atmosphere. And, you know, that's why um, one of the things I suggest at the end of my book and the conclusion, which is called A Wrench in the Machinery of Loneliness, is, um, you know, really trying to explore these phenomena uh, in like one-on-one, not one, well, one-on-one, but also you know group discussions about them. I, I piloted a book club a few years ago that dealt just with this issue, with how political correctness operates on us and uh, identity politics, and we read a lot of amazing uh, books on like cult and, uh, you know, the cult mindset and groupthink and propaganda. And, you know, people became very aware in, 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 in this discussion group, and it was like pressure valves, you know, exploding everywhere in the room when people talked about their personal uh, experiences with these pressures. And when we become aware of it, we can build what are called parallel policies, parallel institutions to replace all these corrupt institutions where we're really supposed to be having these 
conversations, but we can't anymore. Um, you know that that's really that's really how we have to do it. In fact, uh, there was a treatise written. Oh man, I think it was 1978 by Václav Havel called "The Power of the Powerless," and Havel was a dissident in the in Soviet Czechoslovakia. He later became president of of the Czech Republic, but he was a playwright and. Um, in the power of the powerless, he said, all of the real power, and this is why um, we're under attack, the real power comes from that hidden sphere of life, yeah. private life. And that's why it's always the target. It's been for 200 years now. I mean, you know, the Communist Manifesto had that phrase or that slogan, abolish the family. And oh, yeah. uh, Lenin came out with the religion is the opiate of the people. Uh, all of these communities have been under attack because that's really where the power is. And they continue to do it. Stella, yeah, we're, we're out of time, my friend. You're right. It is the groupthink mentality, and they always love to try and use that groupthink, which is what we're up against here. Stella, we got to get you back on the program again here real soon. I appreciate it very much. We're out of time, my friend. That does it for us today. Podcast up in just a little bit. We're back at it tomorrow. Until then, this is The Voice of Reason. We'll see you on the radio.